In this episode of the Cyberry Podcast, we sit down with Casey Ellis, the founder and CTO of BugCrowd. Speaking with Cyberry's VP of Engineering, Mike Gruen, Casey explains how BugCrowd is a community for creating feedback loops between people who think differently and how the term responsible disclosure got its name. So this is Mike Gruen from Cyberry, the VP of Engineering here with Casey Ellis from BugCrowd. I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, Casey Ellis, the uh, founder, chairman, and CTO of BugCrowd, um, originally from Australia, so that's where the, uh, the funny accent you're hearing comes from. Uh, been out here in the US for about seven years now. We started BugCrowd uh, midway through 2012, um, got into an accelerator program, and, and once things started working rather quickly, uh, it was always the plan to actually relocate over to the Bay Area, raise some financing, and do all that stuff. So yeah, here I am. Cool. How'd you get started? What, what got you into cybersecurity? Ah, oh, wow. Um, at a young age, I, you know, I would say I've always had this, uh, I've always appreciated the idea of thinking like a bad guy uh, and, and kind of enjoyed that, but never wanted to be one, if that makes sense. So, yeah, you know, that totally I, makes I sense. like seeing a locked door and, and automatically wondering what's behind it and how you could find out and all that sort of thing. But, but always having this, um, you know, being raised, I think, with, with a fairly strong kind of... <laughs> yeah, conscious and moral code, like, you know, it's, it's this idea of, you know, that's all fascinating, but don't do it in ways that cause harm to people. Uh, so that was kind of the precursor to it. My old man was a science teacher, so I was, you know, pulling apart radios and, you know, playing with computers in, in elementary school uh, back in the um, back in the 80s uh, and stuff like that. And really, you know, the, my career started, uh, finished up high school in, in uh in Sydney, took a gap year as, as you do down there um, and, and came back to start university and, you know, loved what I was learning, but couldn't really connect it with any sort of purpose. So I bailed out after, after a couple of weeks um, and kind of tripped over into an IT apprenticeship, which was where my pen test career started because I was, you know, doing break fix and things like that. And then I just started hacking things, um, you know, taking what I'd learned on BBSs and IRC and through friends and stuff like that and actually applying it. And then, you know, pretty quickly realized that this sort of feedback is really valuable to, to organizations. Like they don't realize how bad, uh, especially mm -hmm. back at that point in time. And I think we're having a renaissance of that now, but it was so easy to do. And, and like the demonstration of, of that risk to, to the organization was, was in and of itself a really valuable thing. So that's what got me started from a career standpoint. Um, and yeah, I mean, from there, you know, going forward, you know, doing the tech side of things for about six or seven years, um, moved across into sales and solutions architecture. I'd, it was a bit of a weird move, but basically I, I got married. Um, <laughs> my, my wife sat me down at one point and said, hey, like you computer good, but you people good too. And I don't think you realize that that's not that common. Um, right, maybe, maybe, right. Yeah. Not common. Yeah. That's yeah. Maybe you, should, maybe you should try your hand out the front of the house and, and, and see how you go there. And at that point, I was like, <clears throat> I was intrigued by the idea of not just solving problems, but actually connecting the solution to where the problem exists, which is more around the sales and marketing side of things than it is the, uh, the tech side. So I did that for a period. And then I think those two sets of experience got together and conspired. Um, and I got it in my head that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I you know, broke bad and started doing that. And, uh, you know, bug crowd was really the evolution of a bunch of different experiences, um, in all three of those phases of my career, like looking around and actually at the time running a, a pen testing company that was Y labeled and outsourced 
Uh, and you know, it was a great, great business. Um, you know, frankly, I miss it from time oh, really? to time because I was working a lot less hard than I am now. Right. Um, <clears throat> but looking at, you know, the, the, the setup, like one person being paid by the hour, no matter how good they are, is eventually going to be outsmarted by a crowd of adversaries. Uh, and, you know, especially when you consider the fact that they're trying to secure the product of a crowd of creative people on the, on the builder side as well. Right. So the math is wrong. Um, and that's the problem that was, was kind of keeping me up at night and, uh, you know, saw the opportunity to solve it with bug crowd and so far so good. That's really interesting. Um, so, so what were the early days of bug crowd like? Uh, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. I think, you know, the, the, the origin of, of the, the, the idea or when it kind of coalesced, like I'd already started bringing in like incentives and game theory with the, uh, the pen test team that I was running at the time. And that was really a precursor to some of the game mechanics that we use in bug crowd now. <clears throat> but the thing that was really the, um, call it the napkin moment or the light bulb moment, uh, was a, a business trip I took down to Melbourne to meet with a set of customers we were working with in, in the traditional consulting context um, from all sorts of different verticals like telcos, you know, um, technology companies, there was a bank in there, you know, whatever else. And what was happening at the time was Google and Facebook were, were starting to pretty aptly market their, their VRP, um, their vulnerability rewards program, their bug mm -hmm. bounty program. They, they sort of gotten to the point where it's like, this is working. We want to go out and tell the world about it. And, you know, everyone I spoke to on that trip wanted to talk about it. Um, and, and, you know, they're asking me like, what do you think? Like, this seems logical, like it's objectively cool. And, you know, it's, it's this kind of crazy Bay area thing that people are doing that has a certain like sex appeal to it. Right. Um, but it was more than that. It's like, this seems like a logical way to level the playing field. Like if, if we've got this, you know, economic and resourcing imbalance in how we're trying to outsmart the adversary, um, the idea of throwing, you know, the net as wide as we possibly can to get a diversity of talent seems like a logical approach to, to, you know, basically creating a defender's advantage instead of being stuck with the attacker's advantage. Right. Mm -hmm. So my question at that point was, well, what's stopping you? And they all said the same things. It's like, hackers are scary. You know, I don't know how to pay someone in Uzbekistan. Um, like my team's constrained as it is. So how am I going to actually manage the overhead of having a conversation with the internet? Like there was a set of maybe seven or eight things that they all basically said um, without having spoken to each other. And it was literally on the flight home uh, that, that I, I realized that it's like, hang on. <laughs> Like those are all potentially solvable problems. If we can, if we can build out a platform uh, and a service layer behind that to actually address those issues that people have in accessing crowdsourcing in the first place, and then start to build out this army of people <clears throat> that can be brought to bear, you know, maybe we can take this concept from being a, a crazy Bay Area company thing and actually make it make it into you know something that looks more like the future of work <laughs> in cyber in cybersecurity. So. Right. Yeah, that was, that was the, you know, and literally that was, I still, it's still a vivid memory. It was like, you know, a, a can of Pringles and a crown lager on a flight from Melbourne to Sydney, um, came up with the name bug crowd on that flight, uh, came up with the initial reward model on that flight, got home. Cause this is pre, you know, buying things on your mobile phone, um, and registered the domain, like got the, got the Twitter handle set up and all that sort of stuff. So if you do a who is on bugcrowd.com, you can actually see what day. That happened, oh, wow. which is part of our folklore. <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's really how it all got kind of kicked off. So, uh, and Cyber suffers a little bit from the same thing, which is, uh, you know, we service the cybersecurity community, but we ourselves 
you know, don't really think of ourselves as being a cybersecurity company, right? We're sort of this in this weird view. And I wonder if you guys sort of feel the same way. Like, I, I have to worry a lot about security because, you know, like, um, fun fact, our uh, SQL injection page is the one that gets most hit by SQL injection attacks. Um, sure, you know, the, yeah. the one that, you know, the courses or, you know, cross-site scripting is the same. So I imagine you guys are sort of in a similar boat where you probably are a, a valid tar, you know, a valuable target or, or in, oh, it's, in a way. It's a, it's an extremely hostile platform. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> right, yours is probably even more hostile, hostile than ours. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like when you, when you consider, you know, the, the, the power and the creativity and like the, the, the chaos, um, and I mean chaos in, in the positive sense, like the, the chaotic thinking that, that comes with being a breaker. Uh, containing all of that on the one platform is is definitely you know we've learned um, especially in the early days but even even still you know learning a lot about um, you know defensive architecture and yeah even like the new attack techniques that people are using because I think the thing that's been really interesting that we've observed out in in our customer base but even you know with our own experience and the conversations that we have with the crowd um, you know half the, half the attacks that are going to be really relevant tomorrow. Uh, aren't broadly known or even like considered today. Right. Um, so like there's new stuff that comes over the hill that as it turns out was always there the whole time. Um, we just weren't thinking about it or looking at it in that way. So yeah, it's a, I mean that side of it's really fun. And obviously we get to see that for the customers as well. Like we, we started eating our own dog food very early on in the piece just because we thought it was the right thing to do. Right. You know, I think it's drinking your own champagne if you're going to try and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that doesn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm failing to invoke the uh, the Aussie self-deprecation if I talk like that. So you know, no, at the last place uh, I worked it was also eat your own dog food, despite our sales team's best efforts to say no, drink your own champagne. Don't don't say that. Say it's champagne. <laughs> like yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, it, it's it's an interesting because I you know I, I do think as well, um, and this is probably I I sort of heard you tapping into this at the front of the question. Like my view and and I think our view as a company is that security, like this is not about bugs. It's not about, you know, vulnerability scanning. It's not even necessarily about some of the, the higher order things like, you know, disclosure and, and like legislation around, you know, good faith hacking and things like that. It's actually about creating feedback loops between people that think differently. Right. You know, you've got, you've got builders who are very good at, you know, making a thing work. Um, and they're incentivized to make that thing work. What they're not necessarily good at or KPI'd on is making it not do all of the stuff it shouldn't, right? So, like, logically, you need a mindset that can come in and think in that way to, to you know, identify, like, the risks that are obvious and need to be fixed straight away. But I think it gets even better when you start to get a bit of a, almost like a, you know, Vulcan mind meld thing happening. Um, from one side to the other, mm -hmm. and you end up with builders that, you know, they're not security experts necessarily, but they're just mindful of the fact that, yeah, bad stuff can happen. Right. If you aren't thinking about this as you do your job. Yeah, no, I mean, that was my experience. So my background, I was a VP of engineering, but um, all the way back, I've been a software engineer, right? And yeah, I got right. into cybersecurity, um, kind of similar to you in the sense that like, I just sort of, uh, I've always been a tanker. I've always taken things apart, always wondered like, yeah, I wonder how I could break that. Mm, probably yeah. shouldn't. Um, yeah. uh, and then, you know, flash forward a little bit, I got exposed. Uh, I was on a con, I was working as a contractor and I was the liaison be between the company that was doing the security testing on the platform and the company, uh, the contractor that was 
had built the thing and then the right. client, right? Um, and it was amazing. And one of the things that you, you mentioned about being like well-spoken and also being able to do the work, the particular person who was doing the, the testing was really good communicator and felt yeah. in no way threatened by my presence and That's showed awesome. me all these cool tricks. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow. Now yeah. I know how to prevent this. Now I can test this stuff on my own and make your life easier next time you go to do the you know go to do the testing. Um, yeah. He doesn't want to have to write up a big report. <laughs> well, and and they, you know I think pen test is one. It's always been, and it's you know continues to be an issue in in the pen test industry and and you know with with automated tools as well. You find a thing and you know you come back twelve months later and you find that same thing again. And, and then, you know, 12 months after that, the same thing's still there. And it's because, like, really, it's it's a failure to actually sell the bug to to the engineer. It's like, you get what's going on. Like, you've heard what I've said. You can probably even, you know, possibly understand the te- technical side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you don't care enough to prioritize it above all of the other things that you need to get done in a given day. And I would that challenge happen, that like, maybe a little to, bit. I think in yeah. a lot of cases, I think it's... It gets back to what you're saying before about that sort of education that just being yeah. mindful of it. It's not, I don't think any engineer goes into it sort of dismissing those things. They just forget or don't really think about it or whatever. And so that education yeah. of, because to me, um, it's never exactly the same thing. It's always yes. some sort of slight variation on a theme. And it's like, if I could just teach you the theme, like, like sanitize yeah. your inputs is the solution, not like the... SQL injection, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's other things that fix that one thing in that one spot. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And just, just to be clear there, I'm not talking about uh, it being a product of ambivalence. It's really priority, right? Right. Because like if, if you, if you're building stuff, as we were saying before, if you're building things and that's, you know, the KPI, that's the thing that makes a business money. Right. Then logically anything else needs to fight to get to the top of that that list. Um, and I think that's the hard part. So, you know, the, the, the bit that we've seen be really effective um, when you start getting reports in from the inside, uh, from the outside world, rather, from the crowd, mm-hmm. it, it feels to, to a security team, but then also to an engineering team and, and anyone else around, like you're being hacked for real. It's like, holy crap, this kid from, you know, 8,000 miles across the ocean just owned my stuff. Um, I didn't think that the boogeyman was real. Right. In, in the way that I, that I now think, because, you know, he's friendly and, and, and we're going to pay him and it's all great, but I wonder what his next door neighbor's like. <laughs> like and, and all of a sudden this awareness of the fact that no, not, not only do vulnerabilities happen, but they can be exploited by the outside world. I think that's the, that's the, the oh shit moment is what we refer to it as. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think um, making it a little bit more real, more tangible uh, makes a lot of sense. Cause I think a lot of, devs sort of don't necessarily think about boogeymen breaking their stuff. They think about like inept users breaking their stuff, Um, you know, which is also a very valuable thing. And, you know, QA teams are there for for that. And it's the same sort of thing of like engineers are good at building. Not everybody has the same con, you know, the same capability when it comes to destroying. Um, It's definitely a, a different skill set. And it's very, very hard to find someone who has both mindsets. Different mindset. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to, to, so just having some awareness of how your bridge may fail is an important 
like part of building bridges, right? And and so somebody has already figured, you know, and so I think that education and then also making that boogeyman real or more real is definitely um, is good. I think that's been my experience yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I, uh, to me, because it's, you know, when you think about bridges, it's, it's a good analogy because, you know, structural engineers and, and mechanical engineers, a lot of what they they learn is, is around failure. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it actually starts with failure. I think for, for a lot of, you know, the, um, the, the training and the courseware that those type of people do. And, and I think those sort of any patterns and, and that kind of training, there's a lot of that around in, in, in engineering in general and definitely security has tried to, you know, create more of those and get them across. The, the reason that I keep on bringing it back to this, you know, this kind of boogeyman concept is that, um, yeah, you know, and the you know the priority stuff that we we're just talking about as well. Like once the awareness of the importance of this is internalized, then it changes. Then the behavior changes. Like all the while that it's external, you can choose to do it or you can choose to deprioritize, and it might not be a function of you know ambivalence or like understanding or anything else. It might just not be the most important thing that needs to be done at that point in time, right? Right. So once once the need and the, the importance of doing it is internalized, that's when the behavior starts to change um, right. more long-term, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's actually more than just engineering. I think most, yeah. a lot of engineers, business, especially the back-end engineers, it's, it's, it's already important to them. It's already sort of Absolutely. there. Um, yeah. And I I think it's actually at the business level where there's where there's struggles and, you know, making it more real to them. And, um, you know, the, the problem with the bridge analogy or the building analogy is when a build a, a bridge collapses, people actually die. Right. When a website collapses, probably not so much, but it's becoming yeah. more and more of a thing. Right. As as these breaches happen and as there's way more money on the line, there's businesses that can go under. Well, and, and, and I would, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think the, the ties to, to safety criticality from the cyber domain are, are way less obvious um, right. than they are, than they are with, you know, bridges and aircraft and, and cars and, you know, dams and different things like that. But the thing that we're seeing more and more and actually getting a lot more engaged with over the past couple of years is the fact that we're putting the internet on cars and dams and yes, you know, bridges and, and all of that other stuff. So, so the, um, I, I think the, the, the bridge between the cyber realm and the physical realm, um, you know, safety critical engineering, uh, and safety critical testing is, is kind of having, it's like, Oh crap, we need to get good at that really quickly. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, you look at all of the, like, um, parts of the grid that are online and available online. I mean, uh, there was the incident out in California, they shut down the power and somebody actually did, you know, unfortunately pass away because they, yeah. they're on an oxygen tank. And, and so it, we are definitely crossing that boundary. I agree with you. Um, also, um, and the, I do think that the businesses are becoming more aware. And one of the things I like about Buckground and one of the reasons we've, you know, sort of moved forward and we we're happy to announce that we're, we're also doing a, uh, responsible disclosure program with you guys is yep. that um, it'll make it a lot easier for me to report up to my management, the things that we're seeing. Um, it doesn't just come in as yet another bug uh, yeah. into our, into our pipeline. I can actually really segment out what's, you know, the, the vulnerabilities and those issues. Um, we have a really good DevSecOps mentality here. Our, our whole yeah. build process has vulnerability scans and, and dependency checks and, and vulnerabilities on those dependencies and so on and so forth. But in the end, uh, those don't catch a lot of, you know, they, they can't catch the more complex or the more nuanced problems. 
Um, and so having reports from those systems plus reports from the outside I make, makes it so much easier to sort of say like, this is, this is where we're at. This is how I, you know, this is, um, this is how much time we're spending on it. This is how I feel yeah. like, from a security perspective. It sort of puts it, makes it more real for them as well. Yeah, definitely. And it aligns the business behind it as well. I think going back to what you're saying, like the, the, the idea of, yeah, security is, security's, like it's a fascinating space. It's really interesting. Like the stuff that we get to see is just fun. Um, right. there's, there's elements of it that are just fun, frankly. Um, but when you boil it dry, it really is just a subset of QA. Um, like these are bugs with benefits, right? Right. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it also really just functionally is a, is a subset of, of business risk management you know, in, in, in the same way that like HR risk is a thing or right. you know, risk, risk of like Forex or arbitrage or, or whatever else. And I think, you know, where we're really up to as a market um, everywhere, like the hackers and the defenders and the people that are practitioners in the middle as well, uh, is, is, you know, beginning to realize that, but then starting to work out how to operationalize it. It's right. Okay. If this is a, if this is a, if, if this is a risk issue, like how do we, how do we quantify it? How do we make sure that we're, you know, investing appropriately in it? Like not too much, not too little, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I think the, um, the need to do that's becoming pretty clearly understood, but we haven't quite figured out how yet. Um, right. But you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, you referred to, um, you know, responsible disclosure program. I, I think part of it is this idea of a, a business being mature enough to say, okay, I'm ready to accept and actually invite feedback from the outside world on, on my security posture. Um, you know, it's interesting because that's not a new thing. Like that's been going on for 30 or 40 years. It's the, the use of the word responsible uh, in, in that's been a hot, uh, a hot debate pretty much that entire time because, you know, I, I, I like, um, and, and have actually defended the use of responsible as responsible disclosure versus, you know, vulnerability disclosure or coordinated disclosure. One of the other ways that you could frame it, um, because there is a responsibility on both sides to, to, you know, see the conversation through to actually measure the risk, you know, to, to communicate, to empathize, to, to do the right thing by the user, right? That's right. where the responsibility is. I think the uh, the challenge with that term is historically it's been used as a way to put researchers back in their box. It's kind of there's a, a loading almost. Um, oh, interesting. If you're, if you're a hacker and you're trying to help me and you're not doing everything exactly the way I ask you to do it, you're somehow therefore irresponsible. Um, which you know can be true, but I think the way it's been used has been a, a pretty kind of heavy hammer that's been dropped on the heads of a lot of people historically. That's really interesting because I've never really spun it that way, the responsible part being applied to the person doing the submitting. I've yeah. always considered the responsible part being us, the company, owning that responsibility of disclosing which the is, fact that we, which is, we know that we have these problems. <laughs> which is perfect. And it's, it's the way that I think the term uh, you know, should, should be used. I think uh, it, it, there's been some really interesting, you know, debates. It's one of these ones where if you start a fight about it on Twitter, it'll go on for like three days, right. um, <laughs> almost, almost without fail. Um, but you know, the, the whole idea of like, you know, people having this default on, on your side as a, as an engineering leader, like the default is no, this is our responsibility and it's the responsibility of the submitter you know, to, to do the right thing as they do that. And we're both all going to be responsible and, and shit's going to get fixed and it's great. Right. Um, that's not historically how, how it's been 
I think perceived or interpreted. So right, no, I can see that. Like I'm not from that world, right? So yeah, I can sure. see not because I'm naive. I assume no, no, so yeah, my, no, I get it. So no, my, and my naivete came from like assuming that the reason why it's not called a vulnerability disclosure program is because some marketing person at a company said we don't want to put up that we have vulnerabilities, and so let's come up with a different term. So that honestly, honestly, that was one of the other reasons that we that we continued um, using responsible as a term uh, after after we started Bug Crowd for a period. Like we we've only really shifted away from it over the past two years or so. Um, it's for that exact reason, like responsible as a as a marketing term. You know, when you think about it, you've got someone in the security team or engineering team or whoever within an organization that decides that this is a good idea and they want to do it, but then they mm-hmm. need to sell the concept to the rest of the business and, you know, going out and saying, cool, we're going to have a bunch of hackers, like look at our stuff and tell us what's wrong. That can be frightening to some people, right? So like right. whatever can be done to soften the language around it, that was actually part of, part of it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, v- vulnerability disclosure, I think is, is technically accurate. We're at a point, as well, where um, especially for you know agile first and, and kind of cloud first companies, the idea of vulnerabilities just being a product of human creativity um, and not like this thing that we never have because we don't talk about it ever. Right. Um, that's that I think is becoming more normalized now. So, you know, it's I think there's I can see pathways forward on this one. We'll see how we go. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna. I'm, not, I'm definitely not gonna die on that hill, but. Um, <laughs> It's, it's one of those ones where it's just interesting to understand there's a lot of history behind what we're doing. Like BugCrowd didn't invent the idea of, of bounties or crowdsourcing or disclosure. Like we, we pioneered the concept of intermediating that through a platform and then mm-hmm. extending the use case. Like that's the part that we did invent. But the rest of this stuff's been around for a really long time. And I think, um, you know, some of the, some of the history behind it's actually really important um, and, and good to understand so as to avoid, you know, similar mistakes in the future. Yeah, no, I, that makes, yeah, makes total sense. Um, so have you guys, when you think about like what you're doing and you sort of, do you also see the sort of the benefit to the hackers in terms of like by providing them this outlet to, to do this work and get recognition for it, that that also is having a positive effect, you know, sort of in that world? hundred um, percent. My, my very favorite stories are the ones where it's, you know, like kids, um, who frankly have access to a lot more ability to create damage um, than, than I did, you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a young hacker, like everything's far more connected and moving far more quickly. And, you know, a, a 13 year old can reasonably do some pretty evil stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that happens, right. That's actually a thing that does happen. So, you know, there, there's this <clears throat> phenomena where you've got these digital natives that, that think in these quirky ways that we were talking about before, that end up in a position where their their power and their ability has kind of outpaced the development of their moral compass. <laughs> so they're not like they're not like actively deciding to be a bad person. Um, they're right. just kind of wandering wandering off into sketchy territory. And and the challenge is that you know for for a lot of the people that get recruited up into gangs and 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 organized crime and all that kind of stuff, um, that's often where they get picked up because uh, you know they'll they'll get dinged as a juvenile offender. They'll get you know, they'll have a record, they'll get actually set on a, on a path that repeats that and then they get identified and basically drawn into some pretty, pretty shady territory. So, you know, the fact that we get the opportunity to intercept that uh, and, and to create like a, 
you know, it's like the the Sith and the Jedi kind of thing. It's like here's the here's the Jedi option that you've got now. It's actually pretty right. easy for you to get into. Well, let's roll. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I sort of see that. Um, I feel like had I had a place early on in my career, like I, I, there was a moment where I thought about going more into the cybersecurity realm or into engineering or wherever. Um, and I didn't feel, you know, for whatever reason, I, I continued, continued to pursue building things. Um, yeah. but I wonder if there had, if there was, if a platform like yours existed at that time, if I would have been more inclined to at least have that outlet on the side at the, in my, in the evenings and, and stuff yeah. like that. Honestly, I think, you know, what, what I would love to see, um, I've got a theory that DevSecOps is, is evidence of the fact that security and engineering are eventually going to merge. Um, yep. So, so, so it won't be, you know, us versus them or, or like there's different specializations and skill sets and the builder breaker thing still happens. Um, <clears throat> but they're not, seen as much as different teams like you see that with like security champions i mean even the story that you told your origin story is a little bit of an example of that like bridging those gaps and bringing the whole thing together so the idea of engineers that you know do a little bit of hacking in their spare time to to you know stay sharp or to learn new things or to you know make make extra money or whatever else like that to me would be an ideal goal state like builders that learn how to break end up oftentimes being the most effective because um, they understand where the where the bodies are buried, so to speak, from from an engineering and architecture standpoint. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's an interesting one because breakers that learn how to build, you know, they tend to they can have a tendency to to get tripped up by all of the bad stuff they know can happen. Um, mm-hmm. But if if they've got the right kind of you know mentorship and the right kind of you know approach to product development, then they can be really effective as well. I, I mean, to be frank, there's there's more. I would say that the the skills deficit in cybersecurity is a lot more pronounced than the skills deficit in engineering. So you know, I haven't seen as many go in the opposite direction. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I've definitely um, seen. I think it's also a lot easier to get into building things than it is to get into breaking things, right? Like the first things I ever did on a computer were writing little, I mean, it was when I was a mechanical engineer in college, right? It was just writing little right. shell scripts to do this, this, and this. Um, yeah. And incidentally, um, like my first foray into cybersecurity was when I accidentally DDoSed uh, Colby College, um, trying to just yeah. see if my girlfriend was online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. And, nice. Uh, <laughs> ping, 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 ping of death or something like that. that, was, that yeah, well, finger, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, nice. Tons, yeah. Of, tons of finger commands. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so... Um, so yeah, so I think maybe that's that's true, and I also have seen like a lot of people make that transition from building into breaking because they sort yeah. of they have that right mindset and they they they're interested in it. Well, I think with with that it, it goes back to you know I've been like involved in in cybersecurity um, in in various forms since you know the the nineties really, um, and and working in it from a career standpoint since the early two thousands. And I think the thing that's shifted a lot over the past five or six years is that, you know, people care now. Um, mm-hmm. Previously, they, they kind of didn't. Like there, there was folks that got it and that there was zealots about it. You know, there was people that were fascinated by it like myself that were trying to push that whole thing forward. But there wasn't this kind of backdrop of, okay, we understand that this is an issue that needs to be solved and improved. Um, you know, my theory is that Snowden was actually 
kind of one of the uh, the trigger points in in people mm. shifting how they think because all of a sudden it's like oh wow like this actually does affect me it's a thing um, and it is connected to me in some way uh, that's that's something that the entire population got exposed to as a concept all at the same time and then when you yeah, think about I, what happened the the year after that you know sixty percent of the credit cards in the U S got pops you know the year after that you got like Ashley Madison and healthcare stuff getting breached the year after that you've got you know, election interference and all that fun stuff. And then it's just gotten progressively more dystopian, um, but I think more easy to understand for, for the average person uh, over that space of time. So what that nets out to is, you know, if it's repeated enough times, the, the dinner table, it makes its way into the boardroom, which right. means all of a sudden a whole bunch of people are getting recruited into that space, which creates opportunity. So yeah, I'm looking forward to a whole bunch of much better hacker movies and uh, television shows that are a little more accurate. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the problem with that is the hacking is just—it's really boring. It's actually really boring to watch. <laughs> no, I know, right? Oh, it's, look, there's a—it's <laughs> it's like you, you're spending half your time waiting for scripts to run, and it's like yeah, it's, it doesn't really make for good television. I, right, right. I will say the exception to that, you know, we, we do a thing called bug bashes, which are live hacking events, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, it's almost like trying to construct a mini kind of drama, you know, eight-hour TV thing. Um, there's like a lot of pre-wiring that goes on and, and people, you know, have the stuff that they think that they're going to do on the day. But we fly in hackers from from all around the world that have skills that are relevant to the target or the organization. They'll ship in their engineering team and some executives and whatever else. And, and we basically just, you know, knuckle down and break stuff uh, right. o- o- over a weekend like doing that with with cars for example that's that's actually pretty fun to watch because you know people are getting the crowbars out and you know, <laughs> trying to like i mean iot is interesting as well because you know if i could like jtagging into stuff like dumping firmware like you can actually see the manifestation of what happens when you do hack stuff right um, so you're turning up that thermostat less, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. I mean, the, the, you know, the vehicle stuff is 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 crazy because it's such a big, like, there's such a complicated systems, um, and and you know, we've been like slapping the internet on them for the past ten years without necessarily thinking of it as a safety issue until the last four or five. Yeah, no, uh, and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of stuff to to test there, which makes it really fun. Yeah, no, my favorite black hat. So. Uh, uh, session that I went to a few years ago was on the car hacking stuff. Um, uh, I, one Charlie, of my friends, Charlie and Chris. I think that was, it was, yeah. And one yeah. of my friends, um, also, um, as a side gig, uh, consults to Detroit. So he was the one who was like, you got to go see this. It, it, yeah. You know, it's not a, you know, it might not be applicable to what you're doing, but it's going to be the best thing you see at, um, at black hat. And what yeah, was, he, in, he, what he I found wrong. <laughs> No, well, he was wrong in one way. It was applicable to the stuff I was doing. I might not yes, be building yes, cars, yeah. but we actually had, at the time, we were building out a message bus type system. And I, I came back from Black Hat and I was like, okay, here's a whole bunch of new requirements for you guys because I don't want replay attacks. I don't want, you know, all of these different things that we hadn't even considered. Yeah. We just assumed that yeah. our little bus was going to be completely yeah. unaccessible. Like it's just, yeah, of course we'll trust every message on this damn thing. <laughs> And that's, I mean, that's like literally, you know, when when we're talking about critical infrastructure and all that stuff before, like that's that's the same problem that's replaying now, um, you know, in like aviation, in you know, shipping, in in power, all that stuff. Like there, there's systems, like these are these are networks that have been around for you know thirty or forty years, um, 
Sorry, my phone's ringing here. Um, so, you know, networks and systems that have been around for 30 or 40 years and all of a sudden the internet's inside them. Um, right. and, and it's like, oh, hang on. Um, you know, we, we didn't design, you know, access or, or, or permission models or even like, you know, traffic control models that, that actually support, you know, the potential for a hostile actor to be within this network. Um, right. What are we, we going to do about that? Like the, the first thing obviously is keep them out, but then, okay, assume that they get in at some point. How do you start to redesign the things that you've built? Right. So like that, what you went through with the message bus thing, like it's, it's still, I think, an anti-pattern that, that exists in a lot of places. Oh, no one's ever going to touch this. Right. If no we have a hard enough outside, that then, we don't, right, then we don't need to worry about this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I, obviously that's, that's, is, is, shift, is shifting as everything turns inside out, you know, cloud and digital transformation. Like for the older organizations in particular, they're, they're really struggling to, um, to get their heads around that because it's a fundamental shift in, in threat model. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think it's also... I, I, I think there's some people even within those organizations that have their head wrapped around it, but you know, you're steering a giant ship. Um, the larger yeah. the organization, the slower it is to turn. Um, yeah. Well, and the more moving parts you got to line up to, in order to turn, I think that actually ends up being the bigger issue. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and all the legacy stuff. I mean, there's, um, I, I did a brief stint at a large organization who I think what, you know, they were taking the right steps in the right direction um, in terms of even in a DevOps, DevSecOps type, um, direction, but they're just so large that I was like, I don't know that I have the patience to, to be here for, to see this all yeah. the way through. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling dev, like rolling DevOps, rolling agile out, you know, digital transformation teams that work in companies that are like 30 or 40 years old. Honestly, I tip my hat to those folk. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a, it's a big, like, that's a lot to manage. You've got you know, the, the folk that have been doing it the old way, looking at some of the newer stuff and saying, well, why aren't we aren't doing that? So they have to keep their arms around, you know, becoming accidentally agile. Right. Um, but then if you want to like fully transform, it's not just, you know, engineering processes that need to change. Like it's literally the entire cadence of the business. Right. It needs to be basically forklifted at that point to be able to support it. So, right. You know, and sometimes you, you, you spend a lot of time with you. You spend a lot of time with your legs on either side of the fence, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I was in several meetings where um, the business side, the people who were, you know, in a lot of ways, the most affected um, because they didn't have direct access to engineers anymore. The, the the shift was like, oh, you know, there's like programmers assigned to these guys and they just tell them what to do and they hack whatever yeah. that needs to get hacked into the um, hack in a building kind of way, not a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand. Um, the, the original um, definition of the world. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> So yeah, uh, building some things. And then uh, now all of a sudden there's like more processes in place and this notion of like, no, 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 you don't each have your own dev. Like we're going to pull these guys and then build sort of these multifunctional teams and you're going to be a member of a team. And like, no, 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 yeah, it was, it's, um, and there was no quick, there was no way to sort of roll it out in a, um, in like a phased in. It was definitely like a, we have to do this kind of big step. Um, and they were definitely big bang. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's interesting with that, you know, we, we just, um, announced, uh, a new product uh, called attack surface management. And part of it is, is actually to, to address the problems that the organizations that, that are going through that have, uh, cause usually there's, there's two, two big challenges, like the idea of where's my old stuff. 
but then, you know, also where's my new stuff? Right. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the legacy IT issue, like, okay, where are the things that <clears throat> came in through that acquisition that we did back in 2002 um, that we thought we switched off, but, you know, it's probably good to go and find them and make sure because usually by that point they're gone and you need to literally go out to the entire internet and go looking for stuff that you believe to belong to them. Right. Um, and then on the shadow IT side, you know, especially for these large organizations where there's like pockets of, of transformation happening, but it hasn't been rolled out right across, you end up with a whole bunch of stuff that's happening, not necessarily under the, the governance or the oversight of, of the security team or even the IT or engineering team. Right. Um, it's just like, okay, YOLO credit card and, and EC2 and, and, and off you go. And that's, right. that's a really common thing, which is reasonable because you're trying to build a product and get things done. Right. Right. But the risk right. as long as you keep it under this budget, my, my corporate card's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So really what, what, what attack surface management um, was born out of, you know, watching, watching what happens with bug bounty programs, you know, a lot of the risk comes from people, like from things that people have just forgotten about that are on the mm. internet. Like that's, that's what we've seen. And because, you know, the traditional bug bounty model is the first to find each unique issue is the one who gets paid. And the more severe the issue is, the more they'll get paid for it. The different hackers have developed their own workflows to look in places they feel that others aren't, mm -hmm. um, which is netted out to this whole like, holy crap, we don't know where our stuff is. Um, kind of realization for a lot right. of people we've worked with. And, and I think the internet at large, like this has been a problem for a long time, but I feel like it's, it's actually had the light shone on it, you know, partly um, with credit to the, uh, to the bug bounty hunters that have gone and done this. So yeah, yeah. They, we've optimized just to do that part. It's like, all right, let's go find your stuff. It's, you know, it's 11 AM. Do you know where your assets are? Uh, and right. then prioritizing it and actually, you know, being able to, use the context that we have from having done this now for seven years to say, okay, we're not going to test each one of these assets, but based on what we've seen before, these are the ones that you should go and look at first. Yeah, no, and the whole shadow IT thing, even small company, you know, so I, I've worked predominantly at small companies. Um, last couple of jobs I've been in charge of IT and infra, like as the VP of engineering, I'm head of security and, and yeah. IT and infrastructure many, and all sorts many of hats. Yeah. Many, many hats, right. Cause small company. Um, yeah. But it's amazing that how much procurement and other things don't necessarily go through, even in a small company, because you're trying to move fast. You don't have all the processes in place. No, nobody even knew, Oh, I, I needed to get, I, I needed to talk to somebody before I bought that thing, you know? And, um, and I think that that's, yes. you know, um, that happens a lot. So I don't even think it's a, just a big business problem. I think it happens at any company. And, and I think there's more and more technology coming online and, uh, for people like uh, the, the, my go-to example is like marketing, right? Marketing has access to all of these tools and all of these yeah. capabilities and, and making them more security aware when they're looking at how they're, do, how they're going about doing their thing um, is, is really important because now the, the choices they make can actually affect your security posture. Most definitely. Yeah. And I, th you know, I mean, adding to that, I think the, um, the default, route to market for for any of these platforms is actually to go through that back door right it's, you know okay like how, how do i find the person with with the credit card and and the idea or the or the pain point or whatever and have them you know try this thing out and then kind of dig yourself in and, and upsell from from that point like yeah i, I love that as a go-to-market motion because i think it's it's really given 
you know, the fact that digital natives are growing up and getting checkbooks, it's probably how things are going to look right. more often than not in the future. But the risk it creates, you know, you, you, you've gone and you've gone and gotten this platform. And then the next thing you're doing is integrating it in with Google, Google drive and like, right. you know, plugging your email through it and, and all of this stuff. And all of a sudden you've got this like authenticated, basically backdoor into right. your organization um, that was actually built to be that, but isn't the work of a malicious actor. It's like, right. Oh, okay. That's a, fu- that's a fun problem. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when I think about Chrome extensions that potentially yeah. have the ability to read all of your emails, it's like, well, yeah. I can't, con- you know, it's very difficult for me to control that or uh, all yeah. the Slack apps. It's like, and then people complain that I've cut off their access. It's like, I'm sorry. Like, need to worry about these things. Um, Slack is our yep. major form of communication. We don't use email. So, uh, everything's in there. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a really like the, my, my favorite quote around that is the idea it, it's aspirational because I don't think anyone really does it like completely or, or that well yet. But the idea of like making security easy and making insecure obvious, um, right. as, as like the, the goal. Cause like this whole, ah, but you know, I need to use that Chrome extension or, you know, this trade-off of usability for security, that's not going to go away. Um, right. So, so the problem, so the problem becomes, okay, well, how do you allow as much freedom as possible to be able to get your job done, whilst making insecure things obvious to to the user and to the business as well? Right, and that's actually cyber. I mean, th- I mean, it's it's almost as if I, I put you, you know, your uh, uh, shell for for cyber. But that's a lot of what we're looking at is we, we call it security enablement, which is really yeah. how do you educate more and more of the tech team where, you know, that's where we're getting started is, you know, in this DevSecOps and, and engineers and others and helping them to make good decisions. And then like beyond that, like I, you know, I sort of see it, t- you know, security going well beyond, um, first of all, well beyond security awareness, which like, don't click the link. Okay. We get it. But yet that's actually really hard to, to not do in many cases. And then, um, well, and, the, and the internet's kind of built on links. So it's bad advice. Um, that was one of my other favorite black hats, by the way, was, uh, I I can't remember her name, but she had done, um, she basically invited somebody to try and spearfish her. She's like, I'm a security researcher. There's no way I'm going to fall for this. And like, sure enough, she fell like for three out of five of their attacks because like, it's just that easy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, people, you know, people are the weakest link in all of this. Um, yes. It's, it's a it's a phrase I try to round a lot. Like cybersecurity is is a human problem. The technology just makes it go faster. Right. Yeah, the the idea of like people making mistakes and the idea of you know people being motivated to exploit those to their own advantage and to the detriment of the person who's made the mistake. Like that's that's a concept that predates the internet by a couple of thousand years. Right. <laughs> right. But but now we're in this position where it's it's all you know hyper connected, growing and changing, like by the second um, and, and really the ease of entry to, to, to be able to, you know, both make those mistakes, but also exploit them is, is going up alongside that. So, you know, that becomes the challenge. Yeah, no, um, it reminds me, uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, and I'm going to get it wrong probably is uh, Mitch Radcliffe from like 93 or something along the lines of um, no other invention in human history lets you make mistakes as fast as a computer with the possible, possible exceptions of tequila and, and handguns. So, <laughs> and if it was today, it'd be like, well, and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably throw Twitter on top of that list now, I think. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, That's a great quote. Yeah. yeah, I like that. 
Um, the other one, you know, we were talking about um, the the sort of shadow IT and people finding that guy with the credit card or that, that person with the credit card to just get you in and get you embedded. It all goes back to, you know, another, like it's the, it's easier to ask um, for forgiveness than it is for permission. Um, Which is a great getting something, Yep, I love that one. Yeah. yeah, because it's so much easier to get, like once you, once we rely on a thing, I mean, that's every place I've worked at where we've really sold um, like solutions to a team that's like um that's that's a that's a that's how we that that was a, our way in right like like right. we'll get through it's mostly in the government space like how do we yeah, get sure. this uh, the, the approval process is impossible but we have this awesome natural language processing engine and like if we can just make ourselves invaluable to them then somebody up on top will say yeah no they need this and we'll figure it we'll, we'll take the risk yeah um, no it's Totally. And it's, it's, it's interesting because that, you know, forgiveness, not permission, like Grace Hopper is practically a patron saint of, of, of bug crowd. Um, we're massive fans of hers and have been for a long time. And that's, that quote is usually attributed back to her. Um, it's a funny one. Cause I think, you know, really the, the, the direction, the technology and, and business like right across the board. And obviously this is true in tech, but I think it's, it's happening elsewhere as well. Um, is that model of forgiveness, not permission? It's like, okay, how, how hard can you push a thing to get the things that you need done either as an individual or as a company with your view of what the future should look like? Um, and then, you know, be able to seek out forgiveness, um, you know, if you, uh, if you get it wrong. Right. So like, right. I think, I think there for security, the challenge becomes, okay, how do you, you know, how do you minimize the damage? How do you minimize the impact of people that, you know, might need to ask for forgiveness later because it's it's not right. like you can ask them not to do that. Um, right, I right. Think that's that's part of the challenge. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Um, very cool. I don't know. Uh, I know we're getting close to sort of the end of the time we had booked them. Uh, do you have any? I mean, is there anything else we want to cover before we uh, sort of sign off? Yeah, I think, I mean, just in terms of, I'd love to hear a little bit about how, how um, you know, this whole kind of offensive security side of, of security, because there's obviously a lot to it. And, you know, the idea of breaking things is just one piece. But, you know, what, what's, uh, what's Cybery, like how you guys are thinking about <clears throat> the evolution of that over time, because it clearly is rising in popularity. Yeah, yeah. Um... Let's see how are well, how do you how do you how do you how do you, how, how do you teach your team to be breakers? Let me reframe it like that. Or to think like breakers, right? To think like breakers. Um, yeah. So I I have an advantage in that I've uh, as a small uh, small team I've hired some pretty senior folks. So you know it's a matter of having a couple of the right folks on the team that have you know you sort of interview for that mindset at a senior level and then. Um, you know, they're the ones who push uh, those ideas down to the others. So I really look for the senior engineers to have some of that already. And, um, you know, there's an extent that, you know, like I have that background as well. So I can push on that, um, you know, talking sure. to people. You know, so I think I might be at a, you know, I, I don't know if I'm a good representative set or not, but definitely, I mean, having a couple people on the team who have those sort of ideas and, and have been through it before, um, definitely help. Um, and DevSecOps, I mean, there's a reason why I've really embraced it. It's, um, yeah. it's more than just, you know, 
oh, let's treat our infrastructure as code and, and all the rest of it. It's how do we really secure the entire pipeline and, um, and impart some of the things that, you know, we have to do in order to make engineers care is like make it so that you can't commit you know, you can't merge to master if you have some dependency that has a vulnerability in it, like go fix that. Um, Or, you know, and and just making it part of their job um, in an automated way, Um, just like any other sort of test or or other thing. And um, I'm curious, actually, if you guys have ever thought about like some sort of model where can you get more involved earlier on? Like I would, by the time we're out in production or even in a QA environment, I feel like things have gotten a little too far. I would let, you know, the earlier I can bring some people in to sort of look at what we're doing, the the better off or happier I would be. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know, part of, part of what we've done there, uh, we've, we've done partnerships with like DAST vendors. We've done some partnerships with uh, security training, uh, like security awareness, specifically around remediation and prevention of, of you know, bug classes. Uh, in in code, like that particular section of it, and you know the the interesting thing that we get to do is you know because the crowd is so diverse in its skill set, but also because they're incentivized based on impact, um, we get a pretty good view of of uh, called systemic anti patterns that exist within within an organization. It's like okay, you've got a lot of reflected XSS kicking around the place. Like, is that an education issue, or is there a framework fix that you could you could deploy? Or, you know, doing things like what you're saying, you know, putting controls in the CICD pipeline or linting or whatever. Um, right. Yeah, there's, there's that. There's, you know, different, there's different kind of outcomes for different types of, of or class of vulnerability, obviously. And, you know, some are far more common than others. But the ability to use the crowd is almost like a temperature gauge on, you know, what is this team uh, or even groups within a team um, most needing education around when it comes to best coding, best practices mm-hmm. in coding. Um, that's something that we've been been doing now for probably six or nine months. Um, I think, you know, getting deeper into into the, like, shifting left, um, to, to borrow the trope. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, why is it left? Why isn't it, like... It's funny, because I was talking to someone the other day who called it shifting right. So... Um... Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've heard people say, like east and west and I'm like, i don't know what we're doing here just tell me we're, we're just earlier we're or later just, we're, getting, we're linear right <laughs> there you go there you go it's all aligned apparently but it was a circle so that's confusing as well but anyway um yeah so so the idea of uh, of being able to you know we did a did a, a gig for the air force um which uh we t- we talked about at black art where um you know they they basically got the crowd in to help out with source code analysis uh, amongst other things, which is not something mm-hmm. that you'd necessarily think, oh, yeah, a crowd could do that because it's like, oh, this is intellectual property. Like, can you right, trust right. these people to the degree that you're comfortable doing that? And we were able to satisfy those burdens of trust to the level that the Department of Defense said yes to it. So, you know, oh, I, awesome. I think I think there's examples of really being able to connect the creativity through the platform into like parts of the the development pipeline, to your point, that that are earlier. Um, right. that's, that's something that we're, you know, I mean, our bread and butter is production and, and, and dev, like if it's on the internet we can hit it, that's just easy. And there's a lot of stuff that we can do from there working backwards. But, you know, as you said, like the earlier you can capture a problem, the cheaper it becomes to fix. 
Right. Uh, and I think, I think honestly, the more impactful learnings can be to the organization as well, because at that point, the commit is fresh, right? Right. Not just that. I think it's also easier because it's um, not, not that I want to blame anyone, but you, it's a little bit easier to track back to like, how did this happen? Um, yeah. And make sure that the, the, the right people are being educated in a way, right? Yeah. Um, I yeah. can't tell you how many times we'll get, you know, that sort of, oh, there's a vulnerability here. Um, and then, you know, it gets kicked over to one of the senior engineers who goes in and fixes it. But he had no, uh, you know, hand in its creation. And, you know, the, the important thing is like, let's just get this fixed. And sometimes there's an educational moment around it and sometimes, you know, but frequently it's just seen as any other bug that just gets, just gets resolved. Definitely. And, And that part really does go to, you know, what we were talking about earlier around the the diplomacy of the communication skills and then honestly the the acceptance um on both sides not just not just the security side but the right. engineering side that yeah these things happen like right. if if you if you can write you know a, a 20,000 word essay without making a spelling mistake like congrats but you're right. Your or also, grammar mistake or any number of other. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's, it's like there, there are things that are going to happen naturally just as a product of the fact that humans are you know, creatively powerful, but we're also not perfect. So like right. starting with, starting with that as the benchmark and being able to say, Hey, like, here's the thing, like the whole, you know, the allergy to get blame that you can, you can see, I, I, I understand it. Um, right. Uh, and you know, I've been on various versions of the receiving end of it at different points in my career. So I, I get it. Um, but at the same time, like if you can't take that feedback and if that feedback seen as inherently toxic, then no one's going to learn anything. Right. So I think there's, there's, there's sort of so some many, sort of balance. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of roles to play in that, like making sure that that feedback isn't toxic. Right. It's, yeah, 100%. it's, it's, yes. um, it's not just how it's delivered because, you know, I mean, everybody has communication issues, um, at some level. So, um, but also being able to hear it in that positive way of like, uh, you're just, we're all on the same team. We're just trying to make things better. Um, yeah, but then absolutely. also it's on the manager or, or lead or whoever to make sure that people don't feel like they're being punished for having made a mistake. Right. It's, yeah. it's gotta be okay to make a mistake as long as you're willing to say like, Oh crap, I made a mistake. Let me go in there and fix that. And hopefully, you know, I can't guarantee I won't make it in the future, but, I certainly be less likely. Um, Absolutely. So pulling, um, you know, all pulling towards the same North star and having empathy seems to be key in all of this, which empathy. Like, yeah. That's agree. a, that's yeah. a great way to think about it. Um, there was something a good you place said to earlier. This. What was that? <laughs> that's a good place to land this. I think <laughs> I did want to get back to the cyber question because you know, sure. one of the, um, a little bit about what you, one of the things you mentioned is trying to educate more of the engineering. And that's really what that security enablement, that's one of the things we're leaning towards, right? Is uh, yeah. giving, giving these environments, giving the training, um, giving labs and hands-on training to engineering teams with the, with the goal of educating a little bit. We don't want them to be, we don't expect them to become security experts, but we want them to be yeah. making good decisions. Yes. Yep. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, the decisions around, yeah, it's, that, that's cool. So you're, you're talking about that from an awareness standpoint, you're talking about it from an enablement standpoint. So actually knowing how to make a good decision as well as, you know, understanding the need or the importance of that. Is that, is that right? Yeah. And, um, you know, giving them those environments to work in and, and, and really learn it in a, in a more of a safe space than just on their application. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's yep. awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Yep. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. That's been a fun chat as always. appreciate it too. Yep. Take it easy.
Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry Podcast, and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.